Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Um, good morning. Last night, I actually had one of the most disturbed nights of sleep I've ever had. And I woke up regularly, and it wasn't because there was a storm outside, but there was a lot of negativity going on in my mind. Um, and it was almost like a battle. And it almost, in the right sense, confirmed to me that what I have to say to you today is the right thing. Because what I want to talk to you is about the mind and how the mind responds and reacts in different situations. So it's no coincidence that I had a bad night's sleep, but I'm refreshed and I'm ready to be able to speak to you today. I'm sure you'll be glad to hear. Can we start with a prayer? Father, open our eyes, open our ears, and open our minds right now as we hear your word. Let it transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. As usual for me, if you've heard me speak before, I always use the same starting scripture because I feel it's such an important scripture to drill deep inside of ourselves, and that's in 2 Timothy 3.16. You don't need to turn to it, but I'm going to read it to you, and I just want you to reflect in your own thinking as I actually speak it out loud. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I say that at the beginning of every time I speak because it's something that I feel is so important. You know, if you ever want to try and find a plumb line to what to do with your life, you can find it in scripture you can find it in the Word. So hearing and reading the Scriptures is very important in bringing direction to our lives. Over the last few months, I've been very blessed, we've all been blessed, I'm sure, by teaching from the Book of Romans, something I personally have really, really enjoyed. We've heard from Christopher that all things are working together for our good. We've heard from Mike recently about our irrational service in the light of what God has done for us. From Richard, we have heard of the unbreakable, unchangeable, relentlessly faithful covenant love of God towards those who believe. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And last week from David, we heard how the Holy Spirit frees us from failure, he liberates us from legalism, and he leads our life filled with his power some of what we've actually been um, singing about this morning. This morning, I want to unpack a little bit about what I believe Paul meant when he was writing to the church in Rome in terms of looking at our minds and working that through. Hopefully, it'll start to become clearer as I move through it. I personally, I've never heard this content preached on a Sunday morning, so I'm asking you to be very patient with me as I try try to delve into the depths of the word. Um, This is something that uh, could have lasted for weeks, potentially, so I've had to try and drill it down and make it um, easier to understand. So please be patient with me. Um, Before we start with Romans, I want to form a foundation in terms of our understanding of the mind. What is the mind? In order to understand the mind, you have to understand its place in the context of the whole human being. 
where does the mind fit in? And Paul helps us to understand this, as uh, Chris has already alluded to this morning, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Please turn to that in your Bibles if you have one. If you don't have one, handily, it's on the slide behind me. Are you all there? Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Here we see that Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, is inferring that we are made of three parts, a body, a mind, and a spirit. A body, a soul, and a spirit. So the holistic person, the complete you, is body, soul, and spirit. And we are one person with three distinct elements. Are you with me? Okay, so first of all, the body. I feel like I'm giving a lecture here, but... (laughs) The body. What is the body? It's the thing that you see. It's very easy to understand, isn't it? It's the physical organs... It's the systems of the body, it's the blood, the nervous system, the joints and muscles, the cardiac system, the respiratory system, the neurological system, all of those things are actually what make up the body. Secondly is our soul. What's the soul? The soul is our mind, it's our will, and it is our emotions which we can't see. Our mind enables us to think and reason and to consider and to remember. And our will enables us to make choices. It helps us to make decisions based on our morals and our values. And our emotions enable us to have feelings like happiness, sadness, anger, and compassion. And finally, our spirit Our spirit is our innermost being. When we peel back all of the layers of the body and the soul, which is made up of the mind, will, and the emotions, we're left with that innermost being, which is our spirit. Modern medicine has attempted to try and explain health and ill health using a similar context in something which we call the biopsychosocial model. Now, that's very complicated, but... There are striking similarities between what medicine has tried to explain and what Paul has tried to explain 2,000 years ago. So the the biopsychosocial model looks at the biological concept, which is the body, the psychological concept, which is the mind, and the social context, which is the decisions that we make based on our morals and our values. But even that model, which was first described in 1977 is not being able to explain the role of the spirit in our human makeup. I think people almost wish that the human spirit didn't exist at all. And I think that's why a lot of ill health um, in medicine can be medicalized by the medical profession, because it's not seeing the holistic person. Okay? So, Paul described that model 2,000 years ago in in Thessalonians. When he wrote to the church there, as we've already described, it involves the soul, the spirit, and the body. And I think the best place to look when we're trying to explain this 
is to look at each element in the context of salvation. When we talk about salvation, we talk about our spirit being saved. It's not our mind that gets saved. It's not our will that gets saved. And it's not our emotions that get saved. It's not even our body that gets saved. It is our spirit. Before we made a decision to follow Jesus, we weren't body dead or mind dead or will dead or emotionally dead. Although those are eternally true, we are spiritually dead. And Ephesians 2 verse 1 confirms this when Paul is addressing the readers. You can turn to it if you want. Give you something to do. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. I told you this is quite heavy, isn't it? Are you with me so far? Okay, good. Thank you for the encouragement. (laughs) To you who were spiritually dead all the time that you drifted along on the stream of this world's ideas of living and obeyed its unseen ruler, who is still operating in those who do not respond to the truth of God. To you, Christ has given life. Okay? Christ has given life. However, we do use our mind to make a choice when we make a decision to follow Christ. And we call that repentance, don't we? And the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Noia is derived from the Greek word for mind. And it's where we get uh, the word paranoia from. Paranoia uh, is a belief that people think other people know what they are thinking. Um, it's, a, it's a weird concept, but that's where we get our word paranoia from. Metanoia, in a similar principle, means a change of mind. Like metamorphosis is the changing from one state to another, metanoia is a complete change of direction. It's a complete change of mind. And when that happens, Our spirit, which was once dead and separated from God, our spirit, yep, is made right with God through our belief and confession in Jesus. We become spiritually alive. For me, I actually thought before I became a Christian, I had absolutely everything. I I was in a great place with great prospects, great friends, and then God met with me. And he realized that what I thought was great was actually mediocre. Um, He then showed me what great actually looked like, and I then made a decision to follow him. When we all make a decision to follow Christ, we, in essence, turn from one state of mind to another. That's what change of mind actually means. This is the background to what I want to speak to you about today. I have one scripture but three translations which try to help us understand what Paul is writing in Romans 12, uh, verse 2. You don't need to turn to it because it's all going to be on the back unless you want to write notes in your Bible. So the first version, which some of you may be aware of, is called the J.B. Phillips version. It's one of my favorite versions of the Bible. And it's also the version that I read um, the 2 Timothy 3.16 scripture from at the beginning. He puts... Uh, Romans 12, verse 2, this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. 
so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the true goal of maturity. That's the true goal. The next version is in the NLT. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's where transformation starts, isn't it? Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And finally, in the NIV, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word for transformed here in the original Greek is actually metamorphosis. That's what the word is. And the word for renewal here actually means, if you look at the Greek, a complete change for the better. That's what the words mean. So metamorphosis, complete change for the better. So you're changing and not just to remain the same. A complete change for the better. When Paul says, don't copy this, or don't copy the rest of the, or don't conform to the rest of the world, he is actually making the point that born-again believers are born-again thinkers. We are distinct. And that new way of thinking actually plays a significant part in determining our future. Now, some of you may have heard the scripture in Proverbs 23, verse 7, which says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is, so he will become. Now, a lot of you may look at that in your versions of the Bible, and it doesn't say that at all, but you just have to trust me that in the footnote it will say that, because that's what the original Hebrew says. Now, why would Solomon, in all his wisdom, be writing, as a man thinks within himself, so he is, if it wasn't important? Thinking is actually quite important. In my profession, uh, as a doctor, as most of you know, I've calculated that in the course of my career to date, I've probably seen over 150,000 patients. That's a 20-year career. Um, A recent survey has shown that 40% of all GP consultations are for a mental health problem. That would represent individually 60,000 patients that I personally have seen with a mental health problem in my career. And that's that's probably about fair, actually. It's a huge number. Another survey has showed that GPs are spending more than a, a day of their time per week treating patients with stress, anxiety, and depression. A whole day devoted to just that. If I think of myself on the call face of caring and treating people, I can hopefully say with an authority that we are living in a world of chaos and crisis a lot of which can be explained through the way that we think. I want to make it clear, I am not saying that all mental health can be dealt with by simply changing the way that you think. I am sensitively saying that the way we think does have an impact on the ability of who we can become. If we look at treating mental health, in general for anxiety or depression, we have counseling, We have cognitive behavioral therapy, life coaching, online help, positive mental attitude thinking, 
mindfulness, etc., etc. The list just goes on. And it's interesting that CBT in particular is about changing the way that you think. CBT looks at how your brain thinks. It looks at abnormal thought processes which you've developed over time and tries to reprogram them to help you live your life. <clears throat> I'm just going to take a sip of water. A lot of people with anxiety can be thought of as having abnormal thought processes. That's a scientific fact. It's not just me saying that. A large proportion can be grouped into what we call catastrophizers, and I'm sure there are people in this room who know people like that. They believe and think the worst-case scenario is going to happen no matter what. In any particular situation, they are thinking already negatively about it. Take the example of being in a house and the phone rings and a person who catastrophizes or thinks negatively might think the phone's ringing, it might be bad news, I don't want bad news, so I'm not going to pick it up. And yet rational thinking might say, pick it up. <laughs> it might be good news. It might be something that you want to hear. It's learning to think differently in situations we come across day to day. I'll just tell you a little bit about three patients that I treated, all recently, so it's not sort of made up. I once treated a lady with two teenage boys, and she refused to, in her family, allow her husband to buy a trampoline. And she wouldn't let them buy a trampoline because she thought they were going to break their necks. In fact, she convinced themselves that they, if she bought a trampoline, they would break their necks and it would be her fault. So rather than buy the trampoline, we, and let them break their necks, we don't buy the trampoline. And I, I know that may sound a little bit strange, but that's true. I had another lady who had two teenage boys who refused to let her husband take them to the football because she thought that they were going to get abducted. So she said, no, they don't go to the football with her husband in case they get abducted. It's massive, isn't it? It may seem laughable, but it's really, really very real for them. And it affected not only her relationship with the children, but it affected the relationship with her husband as well. With her husbands as well. I've also recently treated a man who came to see me with his wife um, because he had become very negative. He had become very depressed and for no particular reason. And so we sat down and we chatted through lots of different things, you know, lots of different triggers. This was a man who'd reached sort of 65 years of age. So he'd gone through his whole life with no problems whatsoever. And as you chatted to him, it turned out to be related to his obsession with 24-hour news channels. It, he, he was obsessed with listening to the news around the world. He would go from one channel to the next channel to the next channel. And you know, I've, I, I try not to watch the news so much now, but... All he surrounded himself with was negativity. It was all negative, and it impacted him to the point where he had to seek medical help for this depression that had come upon him. It's important to look at things from what we're actually listening out to, isn't it, and what we're watching. So he surrounded himself with negativity through 24-hour news channels. He would be up all night watching them. He would be up all day watching them, trying to sleep in between. 
And it was, it was massive. He actually was convinced that we were on the verge of an apocalypse. Um, and that sounds really strange. But fear is a really powerful weapon of the enemy, isn't it? When he stopped, he didn't need treatment. We essentially talked through things. He didn't need to see a counsellor. We kind of just said, you need to stop watching the news channels and you need to get a bit more distraction in your life. You need to look at the positives rather and replace the negatives with all those positives. And you know, he is getting better. Sometimes people think abnormally because they don't know any other way. You may have heard phrases like, I'm trapped in my own mind, or I can't see through the thick fog of my mind. People often feel trapped or cornered and don't know how to become free. CBT in these cases can be really useful in helping people overcome their anxiety. I am definitely not disrespecting secular therapies, which I strongly believe have a valid and useful place in mental health treatments. What I am saying is that the world uses a tool to try and change the way we think, and we, as born-again believers, have an even greater tool in the person called the Holy Spirit. I do not have all the answers to people's physical or spiritual battles, but what I do know is that God wants us to live in freedom and that there are keys that we can do to unlock that freedom. There are keys in which we can be transformed, metamorphosis, by the renewing of our mind, a complete change for the better. A little bit like cognitive behavioral therapy is bringing your soul and body into step with the spirit. It's changing what Paul, I think, is referring to is a little bit like CBT, but it's bringing our body and our soul into line with the spirit rather than bringing the spirit into line with what we're thinking. Yep. So I'd like us to look at some keys and use Galatians 5 to help us. Keep a finger in Galatians 5 and I'll talk around it. If you want to look at it on the slides, I've also got it on um, the slides behind me as well. Verse 1 says, and again I'm reading from the J.B. Phillips version, plant your feet firmly therefore within the freedom that Christ has won for us. That's what we've been singing about this morning, isn't it? Plant your feet firmly, therefore, within the freedom that Christ has won for us, and do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery. Now, that's a warning, isn't it? Because it kind of says that we can become <laughs> caught again in the shackles of slavery. God wants us to be in a place of slavery, but, you know, sometimes the way we think is preventing us from achieving that freedom. That's part of what I'm trying to talk about today. And I love the way that Paul here instructs us to plant our feet in freedom. It's like the analogy of a tree which becomes strong-rooted and grows strong, producing good fruit. It's no coincidence that later in Galatians 5, it goes on to say, and it's headed in my Bible, the way to live in freedom is by the Spirit. It starts at verse 16. Here is my advice. Now, when an apostle gives you a little bit of advice, it's worth listening to, isn't it? Here is my advice, the wisdom of Paul. Live your whole life in the spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of your lower nature. 
for your whole energy of the lower nature is set against the spirit. That's the body and the soul. While the whole power of, your, of the spirit is contrary to the lower nature. Here is the conflict, and that is why you are not free to do what you want to do. But if you follow the leading of the spirit, you stand clear of the law. He goes on to say, the activities of the lower nature are obvious. Here is a list. Sexual immorality, impurity of mind, sensuality, worship of false gods, witchcraft, hatred, quarreling, jealousy, bad tempers, rivalry, factions, party spiritedness, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. It's quite an exhaustive list, isn't it? I solemnly assure you, as I did before, that those who indulge in such things will never inherit God's kingdom. The spirit, however, we're born again, remember, <laughs> there's hope, produces in us human life fruits such as these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, fidelity or faithfulness, tolerance or gentleness, and self-control. And no law exists against any of them. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their old nature with all that it loved and it lusted for. If our lives are centered in the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. So the keys that I just... There's only four keys that i just like us to consider when we're living the life of a renewed mind, when we're living in a spiritual mind. The first one is from verse 1, where it says, plant your feet in freedom. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul helps us to understand this when describing our transformation from an old state, in this case, Judaic law, he puts it this way from verse 14 onwards. And I make no apologies for lots of scripture this morning. That's why I said at the beginning, all scripture is useful. So it says this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14 onwards. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and liberty. Amen. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. It's quite powerful, isn't it? All of us who have had that veil removed by believing in Christ, we cannot be changed on the inside and continue to live in the past. This, that's what the whole change of mind is. Some people look at repentance as a change of direction. It's literally turning away from what you have already known in the past. And I think this is a real key for us. Our past inevitably has consequences for our future. But wherever our struggles in life may be, or have been, 
We must trust God in moving forwards in our lives to our future. Roger Aubrey, who is um, an esteemed um, teacher amongst the group of churches that we're affiliated with, once said to an audience that I was a part of, don't let the past rob you of your future. You must choose not to plant in the past, but to plant your feet in freedom. To hold on to something from the past that genuinely needs to be let go of, and you can't let go of it, you're holding on to it, almost diminishes what Christ did for us on the cross. Now, I'm trying to say this as sensitively as I can say it, but you understand what I'm saying. Don't let the past rob you of where the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and take you in your life. Number two, live by the Holy Spirit producing fruit. In verse 16, it obviously explains what we were talking about previously. But if I plant a a seed in the soil and covered it up, and I ask you what I've planted, without you seeing the seed first, could you tell me what it is? No. It's covered up. And that's a little bit like our thoughts. As the seed germinates and it starts to come up above the surface, you might have a better idea of what it is that is growing. But unless you're a horticulturalist, you probably still don't know what kind of tree it is. I have walked past many, many fruit trees in my life and have no idea what, they're actually, what they actually are until they start producing fruit. It's a little bit like, oh yeah, that's an apple tree or that's a pear tree or an orange or whatever it may be. It starts with a seed, but with healthy nurturing, the seed produces a tree which produces good fruit. So what's the fruit that we should expect to see on our branches, reflecting the seed from which we have been born? It should be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm not going to elaborate too much on that because that's a, a whole other preach. But I do want to say that a change in our mindset can be measured by the fruit we're producing. Are you with me? We should be reflecting the glory of the Lord. And it's not just to each other, but it's to the world. You know, if you're in work situations or home situations and you've got neighbours and they're not seeing fruit, then actually are we really truly reflecting Christ to others? Thirdly, we've already heard the word this morning about fresh revelation. And William, when he followed on from that, just gave away a statement which probably not many people um, tuned into, but because of where I'm at, I tuned into it. Will said, bear in mind what has just been said. Okay? And that's kind of what I want to talk about in number three, which is to be guided by the Spirit. Bear in mind what has just been said. Paul says in verse 25 of Galatians 5, if our lives are centered in the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. Now, I'm going to use a piece of rope as a bit of an illustration here, just because I think you all deserve a bit of a break from my talking. I do, however, need a volunteer. Russ, would you come out, please? 
Can I use your scarf? I want you to stand at the end of this rope, and I'm going to blindfold you. Okay? I should have told you that first. I'll have your permission and your consent to do this, no. Russ. <laughs> Tough. <laughs> now, what I'm actually going to do is to put an obstacle in the middle of that rope that I'd like you to walk. So do you think, I realize the mic is on, so my voice is everywhere, but do you think you can walk to me right now avoiding the obstacle? Can you try? Nope, so you've hit an obstacle. Okay, all right, that's fine. Let, let me put you back at the start. Now, that's what it's a little bit like when you're trying to do things in your own mind, right? When you've got somebody else, i.e. the Holy Spirit, guiding you. Russ, could you take three steps forwards for me, please? Can you take one step to the right? Can you walk forwards to me? Now take one step to the left. And now take three steps forward. Stop. <laughs> That's fine. Do you see the difference? It's a little bit like an obstacle is in the way that we can't get around ourselves without stumbling and really trying hard to get around it. Now, if, you, if I just take you back to the beginning again. You're okay. Yep. Trust me, Russ. I trust you. You trust me. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> We're not actually going to do it next, but what I just want to, to, to say is the same obstacle is there, but I want you to imagine that there is a lot of noise going on in the room, so much so that Russ wouldn't be able to hear my voice guiding him and telling him. Do you think Russ would be able to hear what I'm actually saying to him if there was a lot of commotion and a lot of noise in the room? No. Okay. Russ, let's take that off you. Thank you. Round of applause for Russ, please. So what am I saying? <laughs> Let me elaborate a little, please. In Mark 5, we read the account of two people, and you can turn there now, please. The two people in Mark 5 um, are a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that story. Who ignored the crowds and pushed through to touch Jesus' clothes. And she was immediately healed. So she pushed through all of the distractions. I'm not going to major on that story. But that story is immediately followed by the story of Jairus and his daughter, and after healing the woman, um, we can pick up the story in verse 35 of Mark chapter 5. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, 
Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. I like the next bit. After he put them all out, <laughs> it's a bit like, you're out of here. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the girl was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. The story of the woman bleeding and the story of Jairus and his daughter, I believe, are words of warning to us. Ignore the distractions which are trying to make you conform to the pattern of the world. Ignore the distractions of the world that are trying to squeeze you into its mold. Whose voice are you listening to for direction? Which friends do you speak to for encouragement? Or are creating a negativity? It's interesting that Jesus didn't let anybody follow him other than those he specifically chose. He wants encouraging people. He only wants people who are going to be in faith for him, with him, for that particular situation. What news bulletins are you always listening to or watching? What newspapers are influencing your thoughts? Are there noises and distractions which need to be put out? It's a rhetorical question, but I want to challenge your thoughts. And finally, number four, really important, something I want us to demonstrate and practice this morning. We've already had a taste of it, and I believe God wants to do more in that. But number four is talk to him in prayer and worship. I'm going to use the Amplified Version to explain 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 15. It'll take a couple of times to read it to fully understand it. At least it did for me, but that's where I'm at in my intelligence. I will pray with the Spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me, and I will pray with the mind using words I understand. I will sing with the Spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me, and I will sing with the mind using words I understand. We pray with the mind in words which can be understood by others. And when we pray or sing in our spirit, when we sing or pray in tongues, it's not our mind that is making it up or saying it. It's our spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside our spirit that makes us, gives us the ability to be able to do that. It is the Holy Spirit living in my spirit, and we have great access to God's power in our lives through prayer and worship. And prayer and worship is something we can do right now. And I want us to to pray and ask the musicians to take their places again on the stage. When I was preparing, I really believe that there was an individual response required by us all. So not coming forwards, not people laying hands on you, although all of those things are important, but it requires an individual response. 
We've already heard this morning about the importance of his presence in our lives. And we've already heard this morning about being so present that we can smell his breath. Or we can feel his breath on our faces. All of those things are really, really important. So I've asked Will to prepare a refrain that we're just going to sing. It would probably be worth us all standing if we can do that now, please. God has told me about power. He's told me about breakthroughs. And these are themes which have been emerging over and over again. <clears throat> and I believe God wants to achieve and do something in terms of breakthrough. So we're going to sing. And we're going to sing in our spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray with our spirit and with our mind. So as we do that, just bow your heads for a second. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son and the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have given us the minds of Christ because you dwell inside each of your children. Right now, as we open our minds and our thoughts to you, regardless of how we might be feeling or how we might be thinking, we give you praise and we ask that you help align our thoughts with yours. Sometimes it may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by you. Lord, I just thank you right now for your Holy Spirit. I just pray right now that for those people who need release into particular situations, who need breakthroughs in mental health issues in particular, I just pray right now, Lord, that you meet with them. That cognitive behavioral therapy, or whatever it may be right now, through your Holy Spirit, is sufficient for their needs. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.